Previously on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. But here's the deal when it comes to the phrase shark attack. There are only so many times you can say shark attack before politicians go crazy. And if I said to you, Dan, shark attack, shark attack, shark attack, shark attack, shark attack, shark attack, then that would make most people go crazy. On a beautiful sunny day in early 2012, in the blue, warm tropical water off Green Reunion Island, a little white fishing boat bobbed in the swell. That boat was open on top with a stand-up steering console, and it carried two young marine biologists, Antonine Blaison, with dark brown hair and eyes and a faded blue t-shirt, and Estelle Cochelet, with golden blonde hair tied back, khaki shorts, and a black bikini top. Antonine and Estelle both worked with the French government's most ambitious effort to solve the Reunion Island shark crisis with science instead of emotion. Gathering data about sharks for years, that's what it took, in hopes of using that data to figure out the best and most rational possible way to stop all these shark attacks. For months, they'd been hooking sharks, fitting them with acoustic tracking tags, and then releasing them alive for study. The sun was still high that day, as one of their fishing lines, this is really heavy-duty steel wire with a big steel hook on the end, got a bite. Reunion Island society was sharply divided by this point into two main camps. Number one, surfers, demanding government make the surf safe again, even if it meant killing sharks. And number two, conservationists, demanding government kill not a single shark in the interest of human leisure. I guess there was a third camp, too, while we're on the subject. Probably bigger than the other two camps combined in sheer numbers. Hundreds of thousands of reunionese whose lives revolved around neither surfing nor sharks, and who worried a lot more about pressing social issues like 30% unemployment and widespread poverty and income inequality, and who really wished all these privileged surfers would stop behaving like idiots, stop getting themselves killed, and really, most of all, stop demanding that government spend a fortune just to save their little beachy lifestyle. As for elected officials in the French national and local government, they were dealing with these, let's say, three camps, by trying to please everybody at once. They were trying to please surfers who just desperately wanted to surf by putting up 300,000 euros for those underwater lookout teams. They were trying to please the don't you dare kill sharks crowd by putting up 700,000 euros for Antonine's and Estelle's catch and release scientific study of sharks. And government was also trying to please the surfers are idiots crowd by posting big colorful signs everywhere telling people what Creoles had known for centuries, that the ocean around Reunion Island was really dangerous. As for how all that worked out, uh, you know the old saying, (laughs) you can please some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't please, well, 
Let's do it this way. I'm Dan Duane, and this is Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise, Episode 9, All the People, All the Time. And so they start to fishing shark, but just to put um, a tag and rele- release them mm-hmm. close to z- the beach. So at first, for us, we said yes, but... Jean-Francois Nativel there, talking about the catch and release study. We, I trust in science, but uh, at first, and when they, they take five, ten shark, yeah, okay, it's cool. Yeah, we get 20, okay. Uh, 13, uh, 30, uh, 40, uh, 80. Uh, when they arrive, we say, hey, uh, what they are doing? It's crazy. We are, uh, it's, uh, we are gu- guinea pig for uh, experiment. An experiment, in other words, in catching and releasing more <laughs> and unbelievably more sharks right off popular beaches where people still got in the water. So imagine... When they just tag shark, it was open for shark, open free bar and a restaurant. As in all you can eat, surfers and swimmers. But while those numbers were plenty freaky, it was really what Antonin did that day on the water with Estelle that, through no fault of his own, he was a good scientist, turned 2013 into the year that changed everything. It started when another crew member on that little fishing boat reeled the big shark they had on the line in close to the boat. The shark was so tired out that they were able to sort of bend over the gunwale of the boat and reach their hands into the water next to this huge bull shark without any fear of getting bit and flip it over onto its back. This is a kind of weird trick that biologists do. When you put a shark onto its back, it turns it into this kind of docile, inert state where you can actually work on it without even tranquilizing it. And with the shark inert like that, Antonine and Estelle cut a little slit in the shark's belly skin, shoved an acoustic transponder inside, stitched up the slit to close it, and released the shark. We can measure it now. We can measure it. Tell me when you're ready. That's audio from a French documentary film made in 2015. Shark attacks on Reunion, capturing the exact moment. Antoine, if you could lift your arm up. It's 3 meters 13. No, 314. 3 meters 14. That's the biggest. We've just opened it up. She's swimming. She's moving her tail. That's good. This female bull shark, numbered 3451, has been called Estelle by the scientists. As she becomes practically inert in the depths of the ocean, they wonder if she'll survive the operation. She did survive. That's not the key detail here. The key detail is the naming, Estelle. Antonine and Estelle, the humans I mean, caught a second female bull shark too that same day, and they named that one Fanny, after a friend of Estelle's. Estelle is yeah. a is a, a, a scientific woman. Okay. And Estelle, uh, I don't remember. And 
I can find uh, his yeah. name because Estelle was one of the scientific, uh, a pretty woman uh, also. And uh, she, she put her name, but they put the name of uh, people. But That's Jean-Francois again. We was not uh, happy with uh, all this name because, uh, you know, it's anthropomorphism. Yeah. Uh, it's not a good thing because the, the, the purpose of the of Greeny's ideology is to 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 to, to give uh, animal human uh, sentiment so feelings feeling human feeling you know they want anim they they put human feeling on animals but uh, animals are animals and uh, they they don't have human feelings there are maybe maybe some but it's not the same Antonine told me it was just to make the sharks easier to remember, and it makes perfect sense. I, I don't really doubt that it's true. But either way, that Estelle and Fanny business became a problem when a shark killed Alexandre Rassiga at Trois-Bassins in 2012, and people demanded to know if any sharks caught and released by Antonine's study had been nearby at the time. In other words, did you bastards catch a big bull shark, tag it, and then release it alive to go on and kill somebody? So here's Antonin again, looking at location tracking data from a beacon that he pulled up near Trois-Bassins right after Rassiga was killed. In fact, here we have two different sharks, the 3451, which is a bull shark called Estelle, a female measuring 3 meters 14, and then 3453, also a bull shark of 3 meters 8 centimeters, called Fanny. That's right, Estelle and Fanny. Now, there was a wrinkle. Estelle and Fanny were present at Trois-Bassins on the morning of the Rassiga attack, but not at the exact moment of the attack. But remember Fabien Boujon losing a hand and foot at Saint-Leu about three weeks after Rassiga? Similar deal. Antonin Blaison heads off to read the receivers nearest to the attack site. He raises the beacon located at the surf spot of La Tortue, 300 meters north of Saint-Leu. The data is revealing. In fact, we have 449 detections, which in itself is not huge. Except that when you look closer, this concerns a single shark. You guessed it, Estelle. And this time, no exculpatory data saying she was somewhere else at the key moment. Now, Estelle and Fanny stopped showing up in Antonine's data somewhat mysteriously in late 2012. Antonine actually worried that they'd maybe been killed by this competing government study, the one that was testing shark meat for toxins to see if shark meat was edible, right? To see if maybe we could end this whole nightmare by just putting shark curry back on the menu. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.
Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. By May of 2013, there hadn't been an attack on Reunion since Fabien Boujon, nine months earlier. So surf clubs started organizing surf sessions with underwater lookouts. One of those sessions happened to be set for Wednesday, May 8th, 2013, right outside the Saint-Gilles Harbor mouth, where Christopher Pepin Neff had once said, if I were a bull shark, I would never leave this place. Because we were there that day, and uh, we decided that the environmental uh, conditions were not good enough, so we decided not to do the survey. That's a lifeguard and pro-longboard surfer named Aurelien Mignot. Aurelien is saying he was supposed to be doing the underwater shark lookout thing that day. That's what Aurelian means when he uses the word survey. For a bunch of young yeah, surfers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read about this. So yeah. you guys go out that morning, you look at the water, you decide... No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, no, a no, it's go. no good. It's yeah. a no-go day. Yeah. You yeah. were in that group of people. Yeah, yeah. And I stood uh, on the beach because I had a friend uh, from France visiting me at that time. So we drink, uh, we drank the cafe uh, in front of the place, and I saw the guys that we were supposed to survey going in the water. And I say, hey guys, uh, if we didn't do the survey, it's because of a reason. Take care of yourself. Don't 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 abuse. Don't stay too long. And it was maybe ten o'clock. So we stood here for one o'clock. Uh, when I turned back, the guys started to, to come back in. Uh, this is about when a 35-year-old French goldsmith named Stéphane Berhamel from the mainland rented a bodyboard and hit the water. Berhamel was honeymooning on Reunion with his new bride and their 18-month-old son, both of whom waited for him on the beach. So I think it was around midday, something like that, or half past midday. Because the story was one of my last kids was in the water and said the guy, hey man, I'm the last... By the guy here, Aurelian means Berhamel. And said the guy, hey man, I'm the last one, I'm going back in, you should uh, follow me. <laughs> the, the divers who had their boat uh, just behind, uh, same thing, it was uh, lunchtime, so there was nobody else in the area. And, uh, and and the guy said, yeah, but uh, I rent the board for still one hour. I, I stay a couple, uh, couple of minutes. And by the time uh, the kid got back in, and then bow, the, the shock attack happened. The way Aurelian tells it, Berhamel was the only person in the water, like pretty much anywhere on that part of Reunion Island. So Everyone on shore could suddenly see that Berhamel's bodyboard was now just floating alone on the surface near a blood slick. A lifeguard colleague of Aurelian's jumped on a jet ski and sped over there. Nobody had actually seen a shark or any kind of splashing. And by the time the lifeguard reached that floating bodyboard, there was no more blood around. So the lifeguard figured maybe Berhamel had just hit the reef on a fall and you know was like unconscious. It's a little unclear whether the lifeguard could even see Berhamel underwater or not, 
But Aurelian says the lifeguard jumped off the jet ski into the water to pull Berhamel up. And that's when the lifeguard realized that Berhamel was missing an arm and had already bled out. And he's already stopped bleeding at that point. He's like, oh, yeah, he was he's already oh, lost all oh, his oh, blood oh. or something. And you've got 90 seconds. Huh? It goes very fast. In 90 seconds, you have no more blood in your, in your body. And you need, uh, <laughs> you need a little blood <laughs> to, to stay alive, yeah. No, it goes fast. If there's no, that's why we, shouldn't, we should never suffer alone. Because if you're not able to do it yourself, then uh, you, you have guys, no chance. You guys, I mean, I guess I'm just saying it's sort of heavy what you guys yeah. know, the experience, you know, the things you've learned, that's the things you've got. That's what I was talking, yeah. 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 The fact that there's an impact on, uh, on many people. And uh, some guys like him, they got really, they, they, they start to drink, to drink. it's very hard to, when it happened to you, you know. Even the guys from the emergency, you know, they compare it to terrorism, you know, the scene and all that. It's, it's there, there's blood everywhere, uh, people are puking because uh, they see the thing, you know. And it's terrible. It was a bad look for the shark lookouts. They'd invited all those kids to the beach. And sure, they'd then canceled and told the kids not to surf because the water was murky. And then when the kids did surf, hung around and, you know, kept an eye out. But still, not a great situation. And it was even worse for the catch and release study because divers working for that study pulled up an underwater listening device that tracked the movement of tagged sharks around the Berhamel attack site. Antonin downloaded the data, brought it up on his computer monitor, and... Wait, it's Estelle. Estelle is back. On May 8, 2013, the day of the attack, at 10.06 a.m. local time, Estelle's tag number, 3451, is logged on the beacon at Des Roches Noires, some 750 meters from the drama. But at the time of the attack, 12.14 p.m., she was absent. And as one might expect, Estelle is not alone. There's also Fanny, another bull shark. In the days after a shark killed Stéphane Berhamel, Antonin Blaison took a closer look at his acoustic tracking data. He could see that Estelle and Fanny had been at the site of the Berhamel attack for weeks and on the very morning of the attack, but not at the exact instant of the attack. At that instant, Estelle and Fanny were detected by a tracking beacon about half a mile away. Then fishermen pulled up a male bull shark with its body bruised and its clasper, that's a kind of shark penis, with traces of semen in it, meaning that male bull shark had just had sex. This raised the possibility that Estelle and Fanny attracted a male bull shark to the site of Berhamel's death, copulated with him, and then left while he killed a guy. The main thing, though, was that this whole episode put Estelle and Fanny back in the spotlight and raised legitimate questions about a system, the study, that could detect very large bull sharks over and over again for weeks on a site where everybody, including those scientists, knew people were swimming and yet produced no warning. Tell nobody. I mean, 
What was that? And this is really when the government's please everybody strategy began to crack. First, Mayor Bello announced she was cutting all funding for underwater shark lookouts because honestly, like, what the actual, right? And then with the catch and release study temporarily paused, the competing study, the one killing sharks to test meat for edibility, got orders to find Estelle and Fanny and, well, test their meat for edibility. (laughs) The usual voices did start yelling, hey, somebody's got to start warning these damn tourist surfers. And the mayor of the town of San Lu yet again promised to pay fishermen for shark meat out of city coffers. And then Sea Shepherd yet again sued to stop the guy. And then the head of the local surfers league declared surfing, you know, without underwater lookouts, dead on reunion. And he warned that the next shark attack victim would be a bather, a mere swimmer. And then Didier Deron, that guy from the Brigitte Bardot Foundation, he called that suggestion that the next victim would be a swimmer, quote, false propaganda aimed at terrorizing the population and announced a new open water swim to prove that the ocean was perfectly safe because, he said, quote, only surfers with a board run a real risk, not swimmers. Didier Deron even invited surfers and the mayor of saint Lu and everyone else claiming the water was full of sharks to swim with him. Quote, have the honesty to put on a mask and come and see for yourselves. Well, two months later in mid-July, two teenage girls, sisters, did exactly as Didier Deron suggested. Now, I am not saying those sisters had ever heard of Deron, and I'm definitely not saying that they made any choices based on him, but they did put on masks and go for a swim. When the sharks came back from the body. Yeah. And you know that girl in the salon, the Schwab girl yeah, in Sarbon, yeah, yeah, she yeah. was that eye of love at water of water. She was standing up with a... With a, uh, with a face mask. Face mask. But she was standing. That's Laurie Le Constant, the terrific Creole surfer who showed me around when I was on Reunion. By Sarah, he meant Sarah Roperth. She was one of those two sisters I mentioned who went for a swim. Sarah Roperth lived on the French mainland, but part of her family was based on Reunion, and she flew down for a vacation in 2013. On Monday, July 15th of that year, Sarah and her 12-year-old sister walked to the beach in the town of St. Paul. Nothing fancy, just black sand along a small town shoreline. And there's some variation in accounts, but the upshot seems to be the sisters were no more than 15 feet off the sand in pretty shallow water when a bull shark came out of nowhere and bit down hard onto Sarah's torso. But she was standing in that little water. Yeah, she was getting out. So they really can go, like the scientists that didn't believe that when they, they can beach like orcas. They can almost beach, huh? Yeah. Like an orca. As soon as the accident happened, I was informed straight away and I went to the beach straight away. That's Fabienne Coapel Soré, who was on the regional council at the time. When I arrived, the police brought the bag past us. It was just a big plastic bag in which there was the body of Sarah. 
So I see this image, I see the police carrying the bag, carrying a dead body. It has a shape, normally it does. For us, it just didn't look like a dead body. I have this image in my head of this bag being carried that didn't look like a dead body. Jean-Francois was a schoolteacher in Saint-Paul. He knew Sarah's sister, who'd survived. He also had kids the same age and was now boiling over with rage. And the obvious person to confront would have been the mayor of Saint-Paul, Huguette Bello, the same one who got in a shouting match with surfers after sharks killed Mathieu Schiller. But instead, Jean-Francois went to see a different elected official, a man who was preparing to run against Mayor Bello in upcoming elections. So I show him uh, the picture. I show him the picture of... Jean-Francois and I were sitting at an outdoor table on Reunion when he told me this. We were near a skate park by the sea, and all of a sudden, without warning, he turned his laptop to show me what he'd shown that elected official. A full-color forensic photograph, up close and crystal clear. I show him the picture of... um, Sarah, cut in two. Get into. And so, yeah, that's what I found myself looking at before I could look away. A forensic photograph of what emergency workers found when they looked for Sarah. That poor child's lower body only. Je leur montre. I showed a photo of Sarah cut in two with her guts hanging out and one of the people who had his legs pulled off or his arm ripped off. I show this picture and I say, this is what happened. This isn't just a photo. This isn't a mosquito bite. The shark is like a bear in America. The wolf might take a bite out of you, but the shark is going to bite you in two and chop you up into pieces. And this is the violence that's been imposed on us by friends. I'm a defender of France. I'm proud to be French. But when it comes to this, I told them, it's not the fault of the prefect or the sub-prefect. It comes from Paris. And in Paris, they don't care. We can die. They don't care. Maybe it's like this in America too. It's ecology. It's virtual opinion. People in big cities. Those are the people whose opinions count. I talked about Sarah with Ariane Lupi, too. She's that woman from the tourist board who was on the floor of a Paris travel convention, handing out surfboard keychains and other Reunion Island swag when sharks killed Mathieu Schiller. Ariane remembered Sarah's death as a real turning point in the crisis for everyone. This was a slight detour, but I wanted to hear this story too about the dog because it happened at exactly the same spot, the same black sand beach in St. Paul where Sarah was killed. 
And I knew it played a role in how much the public mood began to change. Can you uh, tell me? I've heard this. Can you tell me this story? Tell me this story. Alors, c'est une de mes amies qui, euh, euh, tous les jours, allait promener son chien sur, euh, à Saint-Paul, euh, à la baie. One of my friends every day would go and walk her dog in Saint-Paul, throwing the ball or a piece of wood. That day, the water was quite calm, five, six meters away. She saw the dog. She saw it get attacked right in front of her eyes. She was so traumatized that she'd left. Moved away, right? Like, so terrified by watching her dog snatched off the beach and eaten, right where a kid had just suffered the same fate, that this woman just up and moved away from the island to the French mainland, like, out of here. She's coming back on holiday quite soon, I'll see her. But it was extremely traumatizing for her. Just that time to play, the shark could see on the beach that there was something going on, that there was some kind of activity and that he had spotted some prey because she'd been playing for five, ten minutes with the dog, just one time, the only time the ball went in the water. So she was playing with the dog on the sand, and only once did it go in the water. That shows that if you just put your foot in the water, you can get attacked. So this exacerbated all the emotion together with Sarah's death. A young girl on holiday. Elle a vu la mort arriver. En plus, on le sait. Elle juste du snorkeling. She was just snorkeling. She saw death arriving in front of her. It wasn't a surfer. It wasn't the stereotype. Now for the coup de grace, the death blow to the government's strategy of trying to please everybody. On July 23, 2013, eight days after Sarah's death, newspapers ran an explosive story. Back in 2008, it turned out, somebody with the title of lifeguard coordinator had written a letter to their own supervisors at town hall raising alarm about shark risk, asking for guidance in how to deal with the public, and wondering if lifeguards would be held liable if somebody got attacked. Now, remember, 2008 was exactly when Jean-Francois and Olivier Marimutu, that's the lifeguard who was Matthew Schiller's best friend and tried to save him, were getting freaked out by all the sharks they were seeing underwater while spearfishing and trying to tell people and getting nowhere. And now, in those terrible days after Sarah's death, newspapers published a leaked copy of a memo written from Town Hall back to the lifeguard teams. The author of this leaked memo, just some town hall bureaucrat, begins by telling the lifeguards that he has brought their concern about shark risk to an even higher level of authority, the offices of the French national government on reunion. We took the opportunity to raise this issue with the sub-prefect of Saint-Paul who replied that the implementation of departmental alert plan would be likely to fuel a shark hazard psychosis, whereas the risk remained low 
and it is up to the mayor to take appropriate measures to police swimming in his or her area responsibility. In other words, your lifeguard supervisors wrote to us at Town Hall back in September of 2008 telling us that you guys were getting worried about the risk of shark attack. In view of the above, we inform you that we do not intend to take permanent measures to inform the public about the shark risk. Thus, in the absence of information on the presence of shark in the vicinity or in a supervised swimming area at any given time, you cannot be held responsible if the green flag is raised. In the event that the presence of shark is reported to you by a user or in the event of a serious doubt or the proven presence of sharks, it is up to you to raise the flag. As in, don't worry, even if you've put up the green flag for safe swimming conditions and somebody gets eaten, it won't be on you. In the event that the presence of shark is reported to you by a user or in the event of a serious doubt or proven presence of shark, it is up to you to raise the red flag. As in, yes, if somebody says they've seen a shark or you've seen one or you just know for sure a shark is out there, it is your job to raise the red flag. But... Lastly... The information provided to the public in these situations must remain particularly measured and in no way alarmist. We thank you for your answering strict application of this note. Imagine reading that in your morning newspaper in 2013 on Reunion Island, one week after the death of Sarah Roperth. Imagine discovering that authorities had been warned and consciously, deliberately chosen to do nothing and even told lifeguards to shut up. That's crazy. Um, Mais non, c'est pas okay, crazy. And... Ça fait ça fait 20 ans que ça dure, c'est il y a ça c'est juste voilà, pour eux c'est normal parce que euh, It's not crazy. They don't want to talk about something that scares people. Voilà, c'est des institutions touristiques, ils parlent pas de ce qui fait peur. Point. L'institution touristique s'occupe que du tourisme. Moi, j'ai discuté avec eux. Je leur ai dit, même au patron, l'autre coup, je lui ai dit, purée, I told them, we need to break your faces with an iron bar. That's the only way to get things moving. My kids could get chopped in half because you are preventing us from protecting our children. I'm not allowed to protect my kids on my ancestral land, where I grew up. I can protect my own children if they get attacked by sharks. The shark are protected, but I can protect my own kids? Except, not really. Not after the release of that town hall memo, because French and local governments on Reunion Island were now officially done trying to please everybody. Considering that 12 attacks mainly attributed to bulldog sharks have been recorded in Reunion since 2011, at any time of the day, in all types of weather, sunny or shady, and in all types of water quality, clear or turbid. 
Considering the fatal or mutilating nature of the vast majority of these attacks, considering that these attacks have affected various categories of sea surfers, considering the fatal attack on a young bather on July 15, the practice of bathing and surfing or bodyboarding activities is prohibited until the 3rd of October 2013. That's right. All swimming and surfing on the entire island of Reunion outlawed, but with one critical wrinkle. Mayors in each little beach town were free to declare their own waters open. Most mayors had no interest who the hell wants to declare their waters open and then have someone die? But the mayor of one little town felt different. And that is how a young man named Tungigi Kell, on October 26th of 2013, went for a perfectly legal swim. Coming up next on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. I felt like it was really intelligent connection between us. Something like uh, uh, electricity going through us. Our brains communicate some way. Some way. And I, I felt like I was trying to fight back. I couldn't. He understood that I couldn't. So, I had to submit to his train. Reunion Shark Attacks in Paradise is a production of Hyperobject Industries, Little Everywhere, and Sony Music Entertainment. It's written, reported, and hosted by me, Dan Duane. Executive produced by Adam McKay, Claire Slaughter, Harry Nelson, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie. Produced and engineered by Joy Sanford, Mike Richter, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie, with help from Zaylee Mahone. Edited by Dan Gallucci and Jane Marie. All final mixes by Mike Richter. Reunion Shark Attacks in Paradise was interpreted by James Christie and Pauline Chardin. Special thanks to all of our voice actors, Fred Gill, Sandrine Ristello, Giulio Mendy, and Marley Otto and to the many people on Reunion Island that helped make all of this possible. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.